From the Financial Times in London, I'm Matthew Vincent and this is FT News. Goldman Sachs is at the centre of a trial in London that promises to give a rare glimpse into the bank's dealings with one of the world's richest investors before the credit crunch. In a case being heard at the High Court, the Libyan Investment Authority claims that Goldman exploited its limited financial experience back in 2008 to force it into risky and ultimately loss-making derivative trades. Goldman denies this. But in the course of the coming weeks, the court is set to hear all manner of colourful allegations featuring a lavish trip to Morocco, gifts, heavy drinking and girls. So joining me in the studio to discuss these and many other details of the proceedings is Jane Croft, the FT's law courts correspondent. Jane, first of all, can you tell us what the Libyan Investment Authority is alleging? And given that there's no real functioning government in Libya at the moment, who it actually represents. Yeah, sure. I mean, basically what the LIA is alleging is, as you say, that Goldman exploited its limited experience in investing to force it into loss-making derivative trades. Now, today, Roger Maysfield, who's representing the LIA, told the court that Goldman had made eye-watering profits by taking advantage of the LIA's vulnerability in so-called jumbo derivative trades. And the LIA is claiming that Goldman earned more than $200 million in profits for itself in four months in 2008, whilst eventually the LAA lost its entire investment of $1.2 billion. So what they're alleging is that basically Goldman took advantage of its lack of experience and lack of sophistication to sell it these products, and that basically it is claiming at least a billion dollars back. And so these claims are being made on behalf of who exactly? Yeah, it's the Libyan Investment Authority bringing the case. But as you say, there has been a civil war in Libya and there's been two governments, you know, it's been ripped apart by sort of different factions. So last year there were actually two chairmen of the LIA bringing this case. Now, obviously this was a problem for the High Court. So what eventually happened last year to keep the litigation on track was that the two different chairmen agreed to appoint a receiver of the litigation, BDO, to take forward the case, because obviously it was delaying the start of the trial. And how did this sovereign wealth fund, the LIA, come into being? Well, obviously, Libya was in the sort of political wilderness for some time, but sanctions were lifted, I think, in 2003. And so what happened was the LIA was set up in 2006 under the regime of Colonel Gaddafi. And when it was set up, many of the kind of key appointees, the key directors were political appointees appointed by Colonel Gaddafi or Saif Gaddafi or his regime. So that's how it came into being. Um, And obviously by 2006, 2007, this huge sovereign wealth fund had about $60 billion to invest. So it was a very attractive proposition for many of the Western investment banks at that time to try and do business with the LIA. And in the evidence that was heard today, what was alleged with regard to this lack of sophistication that Goldman is supposed to have played upon? Well, there's been some quite lurid emails that have come out today. There's one former Goldman banker, Driss Ben-Brahim, who's since left the bank, who referred to the LIA in one email as having zero level sophistication 
His email read, they are very unsophisticated and anyone could, quote, rape them. Another Goldman vice president described a Goldman presentation to the LIA team as being a pitch to, quote, someone who lives in the middle of the desert with his camels, according to the LIA's written submissions to the start of the trial. And in fact, the barrister of the LIA claimed that the Goldman documentation for the trial is replete with lots of references to the fact the LIA were very inexperienced. A lot of the LIA team were political appointees. They didn't have investment banking experience. And many of the teams were actually quite, quote, young and inexperienced, he said. And they became to rely on Goldman Sachs. And the trial was told that, in effect, Goldman Sachs almost became an in-house bank. So close was the relationship with the LIA. What was Goldman being accused of doing in terms of trying to increase this influence, in terms of trying to effectively coerce the LIA or its officials into making these trades? Well, there's been a lot of focus on a man called Youssef Kabage, who was an ambitious Goldman Sachs sales employee who basically befriended the younger brother of a senior LIA executive and took him on holiday to Morocco, took him to a Goldman conference in Dubai and befriended him and basically sought to increase the relationship between the LIA and the LIA staff and Goldman, so that Goldman was close to the LIA. And in fact, there was one email, Goldman encouraged Mr. Kabaj to stay close to the LIA and you know, teach them, train them, dine them, as one of the sort of emails that came out. Mr. Kabaj doesn't work for Goldman anymore, but he reported to Ben Drisbahim. And, you know, we'll basically be hearing lots more of this alleged close relationship as the trial progresses. And this is presumably where these tales of lavish trips and hospitality come from. Indeed, that's right. Lots of tales of sort of lots of frequent meals out in restaurants, evening entertainment. There was even an allegation that the brother of the senior LIA executive, that Goldman's disclosure appeared to show that Mr Kabaj had arranged for two prostitutes to spend the evening with himself and Haitam Zati in Dubai at the cost of $600. That's the allegation that was put forward today in court. What is Goldman saying about all of this? Because this is an organisation that protects its reputation fiercely and some of these allegations are lurid and potentially damaging. Obviously, we know Goldman has denied them, but um, what is it expected to say in its defence? Goldman will basically open its case probably tomorrow, maybe Wednesday. It's insisted at all times it's maintained an arm's length banker and client relationship and it believes the claims are without merit and it will continue to defend them vigorously. We've got a sort of flavour of what sort of things it's going to say. It's basically going to say that the LIA was a sophisticated investor. Some of its executives were experienced and that therefore it entered into these complex trades and it knew what it was doing. And they're basically going to argue that the LIA was a victim of the financial crisis, not of any wrongdoing by Goldman, but because the trades lost money because of the financial crisis. So it's defending the action vigorously. And we'll hear, obviously, more of their case probably tomorrow or Wednesday. But the case is actually going to continue for some weeks, we think. What are we expecting over the longer term? We're going to hear from some of the witnesses. Now, it's interesting because some of the people who the focus has been on, like Yusuf Kabaj, are not actually going to give evidence in the trial. 
They're no longer with Goldman. So some of the witnesses for the LIA are, you know, they're more limited in number. And also there are going to be some Goldman partners that give evidence as well. But again, people like Driss Ben Brahim are not due to attend to give evidence. There's quite a lot of kind of key players that we won't hear from. So it's going to be interesting to see how the case develops. And just finally, how unusual a case is this for a sovereign wealth fund to take high-profile legal action against a financial institution? I think it's very unusual. The LIA is also pursuing a case against Sokgen, which is due to come to trial next year. It's a different sort of case. It involves different allegations. But it is a very unusual situation, and I think particularly unusual because it involves Goldman Sachs. And Goldman Sachs rarely appears in civil trials. There have been a number of cases where it has fought cases in the US, for example. But in the UK, there have been very few cases which have come to trial in the High Court involving Goldman Sachs. It seems this one could be quite revealing. So for now, Jane, thank you very much. And we will return to cover later developments in this case in the FT News podcast in coming weeks. And for more on the unfolding story, remember you can visit ft.com forward slash companies. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 